You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. There's a preacher who went to be with the Lord in 1985 called F.W. Dixon. He lived in the, on the south coast and um, did a lot of teaching. He was a Baptist minister, but I've been drawing a lot from some of his, his notes, actually, and I'll quote him a couple of times. And the first quote I want to bring you is, The Christian must know how to pray privately the church must know how to pray together. And it was his passion that we got both of those right. And it's my passion too. I feel like over the last 12, 18 months, the Lord's been talking to me about prayer, which is why it's been coming out in the, in the teachings on a Wednesday night. And also on a Sunday morning, been talking about prayer. And we've been uh, challenged to pray um, a little bit more intensified, a little bit more intentionally over the last month, just praying privately but also the praying together we had a great talk a couple of weeks ago on this phrase that we find in the old version of the bible the av um, where the christians were of one accord and um, the niv apparently doesn't do the greek justice because it just says together and the christians the believers the brothers and sisters were of one accord they had this singular purpose this singular goal uh, this unified aim in their prayers and in their gatherings. So I just wanted to um, continue thinking along those lines with just one verse of scripture and I'll bring other verses in that um, pull out some, some points just from this one verse. So the verse is Acts 1.14. We know the backdrop. It's the, um, the, the book of Acts starts with the end of Jesus' time on earth and Jesus ascends into heaven and um, the church are left on their own for a time but they're told to wait so jesus was around for 40 days and then the 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 apostles and the new believers were around after that for another 10 days before pentecost and in that time they had been told to wait in jerusalem and and that's where we find this verse they all joined together constantly in prayer well you might think well they'd just seen jesus they'd seen him ascend into heaven and they were told to wait they would pray constantly in prayer um, you can't draw a precedent from that because they were in special times well i just think even more so today looking at our world looking at the way things are um, we need to be praying together as passionately as we can and, and you can also see that after the holy spirit came at pentecost in the next chapter they continued to pray they continued to meet together and pray it was a key point of the early church activity so i'll just read acts 114 completely now it says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and mary the mother of jesus and with his brothers that's the verse and um I wanted to look at four points where just from that one verse we can see a model for corporate prayer. The first is just the word all. They all were present. They all came together. And we've had some people labouring these points recently. And I know many of us are busy and sometimes we've got childcare issues and sometimes we've got work issues. And sometimes we've got all sorts of things. We've got... Um, stuff on the telly issues okay well that might not be a good reason we just need to be aware that when we meet together something special happens mm. that private prayer is essential it's 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 you your the, the your greatest commandment is to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength 
The first commandment is to do that. The greatest commandment is to do that. And you can do that in your personal time, in your walk with the Lord through your day. But something special happens when people who have that as their first and greatest priority meet together and they all were present. Mm. And it mentions men and women. And we know that the elders were there. We know that the new converts were there. Uh, everybody was together. And the next verse, 15, says... In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, brackets, a group numbering about 120. So that's how many were there at this time in this context. So the first point is just all. If we can get to meetings, let's get to them. You're here tonight, and I would say you're here because there is a hunger and there is a thirst for, for God to do more in your life mm -hmm. and to do more in our church and to do more in our town and in our nation. But let's pray for those who we feel, I don't have to gossip and name them, but let's just pray that there'd be an increase in those who feel that thirst, feel that hunger, and feel like, you know, I'm going to make every effort to be at those meetings. And I'm not judging anybody who doesn't come. We've all been through periods of time in our lives where we can't get to meetings and there are days where we can't do it. But for those who could have made it but didn't, let's pray that there's almost a yearning and a calling and that it doesn't feel like a chore. It feels like... A delight rather than a duty we want to be together we love God's people we love to be together that's the first point all the second one is they joined together you can just see I'm working through the verse they all joined together the early church often prayed together and this phrase with one accord and I thought rather than talk about that again because we had an excellent talk on it recently and we we've been laboring the point of being of one mind we've had talks about unity crop up quite recently quite frequently I thought let's go off on a different approach and say well what does it look like when God's people are of one accord and and what does it take for it to happen and, and my attention was drawn to Matthew 5 in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, familiar verses once I start reading them, I'm sure. Therefore, Jesus speaking, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So this idea of being together one accord, it all sounds really nice and together and unified and, and warm, glowing, buzzing feeling of togetherness. But actually, sometimes there's some nitty gritty to be done to, to, to preserve that, to make that happen. Notice how it says, if someone's got a problem with you, not if you've got a problem with someone, because they might not actually be the one who makes the first move. You've just got to do everything you can to be reconciled. In Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace make every effort so if we're to be of one accord and to pray of one accord we've to put certain things behind us and uh, to one side imagine that idea of in jesus time he's he's talking uh, to jewish worshipers and he's saying leave your gift at the altar but we have gifts that we bring to god we have things acts of service and we have things that we do for him as a gift to him we act we, we, we offer worship to him as a gift. Um, but imagine if we haven't put something right with our Christian brother or sister. How does that gift feel to God when he's told us, before you bring your gift to me, get things right amongst your brothers and sisters? So there's a bit of a challenge there. 
that all were joined together, they were of one accord, and I feel that that's something we need to constantly work towards. There will always be something. The enemy of your soul will always be trying to cause division. Division in your own mind so that you're double-minded and unstable, but division in the church so that we are not together and we must pray for that unity to continue i thank god for the number of people who just feel so unified even while there are those perhaps asking questions and always be they will always be around people who ask questions and 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 don't always get that sense of unity but i thank god that even from the first moment um our family moved to brixham and 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 became part of this church for the sense of family that is a hallmark of bcc the wall-to-wall love that people often talk about having felt when they came in. I know that's not everybody's experience, but um, I thank God that that is, uh, I hear that more than anything else. Um, I hear far more encouragement about the unity in this church than I do about anything else. So if we do hear other things, let's not cause them to um, inflate out of proportion because, you know, the enemy's like that. It's like that frog that blows himself up to make him look bigger than he is. Um, And sometimes you hear the negatives um, but actually the positives are so much stronger uh, and it's human nature to focus on the negative if somebody um, get, tells you 10 things you did great in your sermon as a preacher uh, and one correction you just go away remembering the one correction uh, or anything you do whether you've made a window because you make windows out of wood and everything was brilliant but you could have just done one thing different or whether you've you've swept a street for somebody and you just left one piece of litter you know (laughs) you just remember the negatives but the truth is in our church there is a great strength of unity the lord's been speaking to us about unity but we have to make every effort to be of one accord forgive one another move on show love show love at every turn and we will be of one accord and god will command a blessing it's there in the psalms he commands his blessing he bestows his blessing where brothers and sisters dwell in unity the third point the third part of this model for corporate prayer is they all join together constantly well they can't have been so constant that they all lived in the upper room um would have started to get smelly after a while um but there's this sense of them constantly praying together this sense of being steadfast in it and consistent of not giving up jesus taught the parable of the persistent widow so that we would remember to pray and not give up i've been reading charles finney's um autobiography and he often speaks of a spirit of prayer in his autobiography when describing an attitude in the towns where great revivals took place he I was just reading um, two nights ago how he was going in this particular town he'd been called to by a pastor there come and preach here and and he he was going with his um, colleagues if you like um, going from door to door not sort of door to door knocking because they were all asking him to go and every home he went in People were just on their knees wailing repentance. He didn't even have to say a word. And uh, he said, this won't do. We just need to call a meeting and get everyone together. I can't get round all the houses enough. And he says, there was just this tremendous spirit of prayer even afterwards. People were praying together in the streets. They were praying together in private meetings. They were praying together in public meetings. They weren't told to. It wasn't a chore. It just was a spirit of constant prayer. They prayed together constantly. How much more must it have been like that? in the book of Acts and and how wonderful it would be to be part of a a town where that's happening in Brixham and people are praying on the street corners together and it's becoming normal because revival has taken place. 
It starts with us. It starts on the inside. God will work from the inside out. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray that a spirit of prayer um, descends upon our church and our churches in, in this town. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approach her. Not giving up meeting together, not giving up being together, constantly praying together. And we have a great illustration of this, actually, still in the book of Acts, forwarding to chapter 12, and I won't read the whole chapter, and we've looked at it recently. So Peter was kept in prison in, in, in verse 5 um, of chapter 12 of the book of Acts. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two, two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance can i just ask how could peter sleep between two soldiers how could he sleep how could he be at peace and i might need to remind you that i've just read from verse five but in verse one or two his his friend and colleague and co-worker for the gospel james has just been killed by the sword by herod Right, so for Peter, he knows tomorrow he's going before the same Herod that has just killed James. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. He's done James and he's killed him. And he's seen that it pleased the Jews. Herod has seen that. Peter is going to see Herod the next day. Peter doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So he's, it's, this is the night before his, his definite trial and probable death. That's how Peter would see it. And he's between two soldiers and he's sleeping. He's at peace. Why? Well, lots of reasons. You know, the peace of God that passes, underst uh, passes understanding is, is guarding his heart. But don't underestimate the fact that at that very moment, the church was earnestly praying for him. The church was earnestly praying for him. If we skip forward to verse 12, when he finally gets out, Great story. In verse 12, it says, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So they were praying while he was sleeping. They were praying through the night. What a wonderful spirit of prayer. Where do we go when we hit hard times, when people, people are in trouble? Do we go straight to the Lord? And do we pray together? Do we gather together? Do we say, I don't mind that it's past my bedtime. Come round and we'll pray they prayed constantly. So they prayed all together. They were joined together constantly. And finally they prayed. Um, they were in prayer. The last point is that they were in prayer. And I know it's all been about prayer. But I wanted to make my fourth point that it was prayer they met for. It's important to meet socially. Fellowship's a really important thing. It's great to have barbecues together and fun times together. And, and the fellowship together is so important and doing fun things together. But when we get together to pray, there is a divine interchange that takes place. And I just want to remind us of the, um, prayer, that, the prayer elements that I've been um, encouraging people to do as a church. To take the four letters of the word pray and start with praise. Move to repentance. Ask and yield. Praise, repent, ask, ask yield. 
P-R-A-Y. And remember, my challenge this month is that we would prepare our hearts for what God has to come. It's a time of preparation. In our prayer times, let's gather together, let's remember those elements of prayer, but let's prepare our hearts for what God is going to do. We believe in God is going to move in this town. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's not miss out. Let's be ready for the new assignments that he might have for us. So a quick look at some of the results that follow this kind of model. Or if we follow this model, model, what are some of the results? The first one is fellowship. And I've said how important fellowship is. But when we pray together, you kind of open up. In fact, Paul said, I've heard Paul say it a couple of times. Um, you really find out what a person's like when you hear them praying. And uh, I think that's true. And the fellowship deepens and increases as we pray together. And we know from our key text this, this evening, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They were together. And in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to fellowship and prayer. So the first result is fellowship. If you're feeling lonely, get to prayer meetings. You will fellowship with people like never before. The second thing is they received guidance. And we can find that right at the very beginning in Acts chapter 1. That the area we're looking at already where um, I've taken the key text from. It says in verse 23, it's, it's telling us how Peter stood up in front of the 120 uh, and said, um, well, Ju we know what's happened to Judas and it's biblical that we replace him, so we want to replace Judas. And um, so, that, so they nominated, they nominated that's, I believe that's the 120, it could be counted to be the apostles, but I believe the church were involved in the decision-making, I think that's really cool as well. But they nominated two men, Joseph and Matthias. Then they, plural, prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us, um, what, show us what to do. And, and God spoke through the casting of lots. And um, they all prayed together that God would cause the right outcome. So they gained guidance. And um, some people feel like that was a bit weird because they cast lots and we're in the new covenant now and all that sort of thing. Still using their Jewish heritage. But how often do we say, Lord, uh, if this is right, open the door if he's wrong close the door I know it's not quite casting lots but it's almost the same thing isn't it Lord show us the way it's that attitude of openness to God making the way and some people feel like well actually they they acted in the flesh and they they um th there are some who have criticized the apostles at this time for for appointing someone for appointing Matthias but if you go to Luke sorry if you go to Acts 6 it's Luke who wrote Acts um if you go to Acts 6 Luke refers to the twelve, which will have included Matthias. And believing the Holy Spirit inspired Luke, um, I just think that was a, a, a good thing that they did. And um, they were guided, is the main point. They received guidance. The third thing they received was power, as we know. In Acts 2, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And remember in Acts 1.8, the whole point of this waiting in Jerusalem was that they would receive power. And in Acts 4, 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that their chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So they prayed together and they received power. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So when we pray together, we receive power. To, to quote this pastor, Francis Dixon, who 
whose notes I've read before speaking tonight, he, he says this. More prayer on the part of the whole fellowship of God's people means more of the convicting and converting power of the Holy Spirit in the personal and public preaching of the gospel and more power in the lives of God's people, enabling them to show forth the beauty of the Lord Jesus in their daily walk and witness. Historically, there will never be another day of Pentecost, but experientially, all God's children need to know his filling and empowering. This is the greatest need in the church and in all the work of evangelism at home and abroad. More power on the part of the whole fellowship of God's people means more of the convicting and converting power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. And as we pray together, we receive that power. Can we be a church that prays together and receives that power? The fourth point, one of the results, notice I've called them results and not benefits, because one of the results of stepping up the prayer meetings, stepping up the prayer together, is opposition because the church that satan attacks is one in which the holy spirit is at work he'll leave some churches alone i imagine if they're not doing anything in the holy spirit in acts 2 13 it says some however made fun of them this is where they've been filled with the holy spirit they're speaking in new languages and they're out on the streets now and some made fun of them so that's instant opposition and uh, said they've had too much wine. Well, maybe they didn't even think that. They just wanted to make fun of them. And um, mockery is hurtful and harmful. And although this wasn't physical, brutal beating, that was the first opposition that they experienced since Pentecost was mockery. And um, in Acts 4, we see more um, opposition arise. The priests, so in, in Acts 4, we've... Um, well, I'll just read it. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put him in jail until the next day. So that's the first time somebody... It only took a couple of chapters before they ended up put in jail. Um, opposition will come. But don't worry. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, you are from God and have overcome them, them being the wrong spirits that he's talking about in prior verses, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Yes. You have overcome already. You have overcome. Do not fear. You will receive opposition. And when you do receive opposition, it's not always a sign for discouragement. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got it wrong because God's not blessing you. It very often means you've got it right because the enemy is attacking you. And finally, the last thing was increase. The last result of improved prayer together as a church is increase. We saw it straight away in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted this message, his message, were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. God is the same today as he was when 3,000 were added to their number. The circumstances are different, but God is the same. The gospel is the same. 
people are the same. Technology's moved on and socio-economic situations are totally different today. But deep down, as far as the creator is concerned, people are the same. We all need love. We all have the same basic needs. God is the same. The gospel's the same. People are the same. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. Could happen again. Might not, but it might do. Let's be open. Because God can do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. In fact, our salvation is immeasurably more than we could imagine ourselves. The fact that he saved me, one person, is immeasurable. Because I don't even understand the riches of his grace. And I won't do until I meet him face to face. But he can do incredible things. Increase is a result of persevering prayer, prevailing prayer. So in Acts 2, we learn that on the day of Pentecost, they were all meeting together in one place. Remember, these people were of Jewish origin, and Pentecost was a Jewish festival. The Jews call it Shavuot. It's the Feast of Weeks. It's the, um, it's, it's the, it's the festival that, in, in fact, today it has two, um, two things that it remembers. It's the beginning of a harvest, but it's also the, the bringing of the Torah. They remember the Torah in those days. And, and these people were of Jewish origin, so they would have been in Jerusalem normally to celebrate Shavuot or Passover. They would have been there for that one reason. And the people that they ended up meeting in the streets were there for that reason. They were there doing their Jewish thing. But these Christians, who were Jewish by origin, had chosen to opt out of, already opt out of this festival because they were all gathered together weren't they they were waiting it just struck me today as I was as I was reading it they'd made a choice already to put aside some of their old ways because they weren't at the temple doing their Passover thing not Passover um, Pentecost thing they were in the upper room they were meeting with other Christians and it just struck me that sometimes for God to move we we have to do something that is a break away from how we've done things in the past. That maybe there's some things that we need to do that are unorthodox to us. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading a little bit more. Listen to Jesus' instructions to wait in Jerusalem or whatever it is he asked us to, to do. And the other thing I thought was 10 days of waiting was probably quite a long time. So Jesus has been with him for 40 days and then he zips up into the sky and, so, and before that, he says, wait in Jerusalem. But he doesn't say how long for. He also said, I'm coming again soon, and we don't know how long for. They didn't know if those 10 days were going to span, span out to 10 weeks. It might have been 10 minutes at first they thought it was going to be. I don't know. It could have been easy for them to just say, do you know what? I, I'm just going to do the, do the Jewish festival. But they steadfastly waited in that upper room. They waited for the Holy Spirit. They waited. For, they, they were obedient to Jesus. And it was something different for them. It was a change of direction from their, from their modus operandi, if you like. Is he asking you to pray differently? To pray together more? To pray at a different time or to pray with someone as a prayer partner? Keep consistent and keep going. The results will be beyond our imagination. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.